Good morning. I just want to take just a quick second and honor you. $11,000? Way to go. That's like, that, that, that's about double what I thought would be like really awesome. I thought it would be really awesome if we pulled off about half that. Way to go. It's better to live off a 90% of blessed income than it is 100% of not blessed income. And you guys clearly get it. Well done. Thank you. Um, the Deckers here? I didn't look. I forgot to look. Okay, good. We'll do that. They got married. I was going to talk about them. Anyway, we're starting a new series, series called The Danger Zone. If you're not careful, we're going to come into to some, some areas that are danger zones for the believer. If you're not careful, you go right off a cliff on these. Um, aren't signs good? I really appreciate signs. My, my son is uh, in first grade, and he's becoming a reader. And so he's reading things, and he read a sign on the front of the syrup bottle this morning. It said, Mrs. Buttersworth. And he got off his stool, and he came over to me, and he covered up the is Ersworth. So Mrs. Buttersworth bottle. He covered up the Ersworth. And he comes over to me, and he says, Dad, Dad, what's it say? What's it say, Dad? I was like, I see what it says, son. No, no, come on, Dad, say it. Mrs. What? Say it. It's my son, ladies and gentlemen. He's officially in first grade. And my son. That's my kiddo. We need signs. We need to read the signs, pay attention to the signs that are in our life. Um, I saw a sign just the, the other day. This is in northwest Indianapolis on 465. There was a sign. See, this sign does not contain drastic information. I mean, if you were to put into a sentence what this sign says, it's very basic. The road has a curve in it. It's not revolutionary. It's pretty typical that roads have curves in it. But not, that, not only did they feel that they needed to put up a sign, they had to put up a sign that was like five times larger than the normal sign. It's like the size of a car. Can we zoom in a little bit? Just look how big that sucker is. It's a massive sign. It's like wider than my hands are. Has anyone seen this sign on 465? It's huge. Why? It's not because of revolutionary information. The road has a curve in it. Because if you miss it, you're going to fly right off the highway. You're going to go flying right off of it. Apparently, somebody has come close enough, at least, to come off the highway. They had to make a gigantic sign that didn't just say, there is a curve in the road. A sign this size is more like, hey, there's a curve in the road, bonehead. It's like huge. So this series is called Danger Zone. If I could give a subtitle, it might be, hey, there's some curves in the road. If you're not careful, you're going to go right off the highway. There's three things that can take us right off the highway. The first we're covering today is pride. Pride is a danger for the maturing believer. James 4, 6, I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. It says, God resists you when you are proud. Everybody say resist. God resists you when you are proud, but continually pours out grace when you are humble. Today we're going to look at a story in the Bible about a guy named Naaman who started proud but found humility and his miracle. If you've got your Bibles, can you turn or tap to 2 Kings chapter 5? 
We're going to start reading in 2 Kings chapter 5. Right at the beginning. 2 Kings chapter 5, if you're there, say, "Mm mm-hmm. Okay, that's a lot of them. Good. Here we go. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. These are not Israelites. This is not Israel. This is another nation, King Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. See, Naaman was a big deal. He's a commander, he had a lot of authority, but he had this, some kind of skin condition. It probably wasn't the leprosy where like your limbs are falling off, but any kind of skin abnormality, they would have called leprosy. And big deal for him, because in that culture, in that day and age, any disfigurement would have been considered like a judgment from the gods, and his life as he knew it was about to be over. Disqualification of being a leader. The gods judged him, so, so should we, Right? Life as he knew it was going right out the window. Big deal. Story picks up verse 2. Gives us a little bit of a background to the story. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master, Naaman, would see the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. Pause again. How beautiful is this? We can't go past that without recognizing this great lesson. Even when you're a captive, witness for the goodness of God. She was a slave, not of her own choosing. She was captured by raiders. And what'd she do? Be a witness to the greatness of God. What did Joseph do? Be a witness to the greatness of God. Anyone ever feel like a slave sometimes? Feel like a captive sometimes? At school, at your job? Even when you feel like a captive, be a witness of the greatness and awesome, merciful God that we have. All right, let's keep going. Verse 4. Naaman went to his master and told him, this is went to the king, and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing and some bling bling. I added that. Verse 6. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Notice the girl said, Go to the the prophet in Samaria. But the king's like, Oh yeah, we'll send you to the king. You know, because I'm a king. I'll send you to the king. You know, we're all arrogant around here. Verse 7. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? He's trying to pick a fight with me. Verse 8, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him, say, go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, 
I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Naaman thought. Here's the, the man of God sends a servant out. He didn't even come out himself. He sent a servant out to deliver. Hey, all you got to do is go get washed seven times. Just dip seven times, man. And Naaman thought. He had an expectation of what was supposed to happen. We do this all the time, don't we? We, we thought God was going to do something in, in a particular way, but then he doesn't. Something else completely different happens. And that was the beginning of Naaman's pride, an unmet expectation. Listen, if we don't learn how to handle the unmet expectations in our life, it will severely hinder our life. His expectations of God put him in a position where he thought he knew more than God. I think if we're not careful, we can do some of that, eh? Here's number one. Naaman's expectations almost cost him everything. Naaman's expectations almost cost him everything. He thought he was going to be treated as royalty. He has a letter from the king. So he went to the king, and the king's like, I can't help you. And so he, he pulls up with his chariots and his bling, bling, and he's all, he's like, hey, woohoo! He's got a little posse with him. Shows up at Elisha's house, expecting, I'm sure, to be greeted by Elisha himself. He deserves it, right? He's got a letter from his king. Come on, Elisha. And who's Elisha do? What's he do? Hey, servant, just go, go tell him to take a bath seven times in the Jordan. He thought he expected something. He expected him to come out and say, woo, and it would all be fixed. But God was saying, I don't just want to heal you, Naaman. I want to do something in you because of it. I don't think you heard me. God says, I don't just want to heal you, Naaman. I want to do something in you because of that. Hey, Christian, God doesn't just want to heal you. He wants to do something in you because of it. When you have an intimate expectation in your life, don't go into tunnel vision where all you see is your problem. Let's look at our heart, too. Let's look at our heart. God wants to do something in us because of it. See, the unmet expectations led Naaman to having a critical spirit. He went off in a rage. A rage. And he had a critical spirit. Nothing was right. Uh, I think that's happened to some of us, maybe. Some of us have ideas that we feel pretty passionately about. That's good. It's good to have ideas that we feel passionate about. That's okay, but your passionate feelings and ideas are not necessarily God-ordained, God-sided, or even correct, simply because you feel as passionately about it as you do the gospel. Feeling as passionately about some issue as you do the gospel doesn't make it gospel. Oh, it's quiet. Some of you have expected our church to more strongly align with a political party or political ideas. That was an expectation some people had. I know it. I'm sorry that that disappointed you, but I'm not sorry that we did not get involved in the world's mess. 
Here's why. God's truth is going to mess with everybody. God's truth will mess with everybody. He gets in all of it. Republicans and Democrats, oh, I'm going. Republicans and Democrats, <laughs> maskers and non-maskers, vaxxers and non-vaxxers, God's truth never changes. That's right. We agree there. God's truth never changes. Political positions and parties change. Or at the very least, seem to. We have a culture right now of political... Uh, Political celebrity, politi uh, celebrity politicians, sure. where a party thinks one thing, but one Yahoo, this happens in both parties, I'm not picking on any of them, one Yahoo can pop up and say, well, I think blah, 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 and just say kind of something off the wall, and then the other side says, see what all of them say? See what all of them say? No, it's a Yahoo. There's a Yahoo everywhere. That's not what, necessarily what everyone thinks. So if, if a celebrity politician can change public perception of all of it, and God's truth never changes, right? And positions of political parties seem to change. What will happen to the witness of the church if all Christians align themselves staunchly with a party as if it's God's sovereign will for all Christians? And then that party changes position, potentially to a position in an area that dishonors God. What would happen? What would happen? There would be confusion, confusion. It's a trick of the devil. It's, there would be confusion. There would be degradation of truth for some who may hold a party more staunchly than they do the word of God. There would be a degradation of truth there in some pockets. And absolutely, there would be a misrepresentation of Christianity to the world around us. Right? Because if a party shifts, and, that, and that's what Christians believe. Christians believe this. We're not called to be right or left. We're called to be vertical first. This doesn't change. Get your eyes on the right stuff. We don't get that. We're going to experience unmet expectations. We're going to wind up with a really critical spirit. The unmet expectations that Naaman had led him to having a critical Spirit. It's the result of pride, a critical spirit. Another way to say it, if you have a critical spirit, nothing's right. Nothing's good enough. Everybody else is stupid. I can't believe Pastor Adam just said that Jesus is more important than my political party. You probably have an unmet, unmet expectation that you need to surrender to the Lord if you expect to ever have peace rule in your life. That's only possible with humility. Thank you. All right, here's the second one. Naaman's entitlement almost got in the way. It almost got in the way for his miracle. So uh, in this story, Elisha said, go wash in the Jordan. The Jordan's muddy. It's muddy water. And so he says, are not Abana and uh, Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned off in a rage. I could have done this at my house. I had to come all the way over here? Come on. Why'd I have to do this here? I could have done this back home. This was God's plan. I would have just done it. I wouldn't have left. 
See, entitlement is just pride in disguise. It's just pride in disguise. I can do that. I know that. I have that. I deserve that. We have to be careful. If you're looking for a sign, here it is. Be careful. Big sign. Guard your heart. Guard your heart for the pride that sneaks in. Guard your heart for the pride that sneaks in secretly. That's how pride works. Pride is the carbon monoxide killer in our lives, in our churches. It's hard to see. It's a silent killer. But it will affect the advancement of the church in your life. See, when I, uh, when I started and I said, we're going to talk about pride today, a lot of people thought in your head, you know, because I'm sure, okay, this is a good message for somebody else. I'm not proud. You very well might not be proud, but what you, what you really mean is, or you, you, you might not be arrogant. That's the truth. That may be the truth. Arrogant is kind of like, <laughs> like, like, there's probably just a few people in this room who are actually arrogant. There's some. But those of us in this room that have a degree of pride in our lives working or trying to work is running pretty close to 100%. That's, I know because you're humans. There's humans in this room. And so we all have a fallen nature and pride is the root of all sin. So we may say, I'm not proud, but really, mean, really we mean I'm not arrogant. Arrogant is easy to see. But pride's a little tricky. See, um, pride often comes packaged up in a disguise where it looks like something else. Let me give you three things pride is. Pride is trusting our own ability. Trusting our own ability. If, if your life lives off of a foundation of, I can do it. I don't need help. That's the foundation of your life. That might not be confidence. That might not be strength. That might be pride. Number two, pride is trusting in our own righteousness. Our own righteousness. This was, this was Naaman. Servant, go back in and tell him. He didn't say this, but I imagine that he was at least thinking it. Go back in and tell Elisha what a big deal I am. Go tell him how many chariots I brought with me. I want to see the man, not some servant. I'm good enough. I'm good. I got this. I deserve. I should get a lack of surrender, if that's the foundation of your life, it's, it looks like strength, it looks like confidence, it looks like things that we applaud in our culture especially, but it might just be pride. Number three, pride is trusting in our own wisdom. I know. I know. An unwillingness to seek help when you need it is... Uh, Trusting in our own wisdom. Also, trusting in our own wisdom is when we, are you ready for this? When we seek a word from our Facebook friends before we seek a word from God. That's trusting our own wisdom. If you need to hear a word, you know where to get it. Not on an app, unless it's the Bible app. That one. All right, here's number three. 
Number three, Naaman's friend's encouragement saved the day. Naaman's friend's encouragement saved the day. Verse 13, Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleaned? Naaman's in a rage. And according to this, if the prophet sent a servant and said, do this, 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 and this, and give me all your stuff, then you'll be healed. According to this, Naaman would have said, but he was too proud. He was too proud to just admit that it might be something pretty simple. God didn't want to just heal Naaman. He wanted to do something in Naaman. He wanted to do something in his heart. And thank the Lord for Naaman's friends, Naaman's servants, the people that were with Naaman who said, whoa, 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 whoa. All you got to do is go get, just, just get somebody water, man. Your life, as you know it, is over, and you're going to hang on to it because you won't get into the water. Just get into some muddy water. Humble yourself. Let me give you three truths about biblical friendships, right? So this is like sermonception. I got a sermon inside a sermon. Here it is. So, point, so I got four points. On the third point, there's a list of three. Three truths about biblical friendships. Number one, when the going gets tough, friends step up. When the going gets tough, friends step up. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. Go ahead, we can put that up. Yep. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. When, when the problems come up, friends step up. When it's time, move. Proverbs 27.10 says this. Go ahead and put that up. Proverbs 27.10. Do not forsake your friend or friend of your family. And do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. We are called to step up to those around us. When you got a, a, a co-worker that's in crisis, step up. That's your friend today. That's your friend today. You get to step up into their life and take the... Um, the love of Jesus, right where you are. Praise the Lord that there was a little slave girl who was taken by raiders who was able to be at the right place at the right time. She was in a stinky situation, but she knew that she was called wherever she was. She was taken as a slave, and she knew even there she can step into what God has called her to do. And that was to be a witness of the greatness of God back in Samaria. Second truth about biblical friendships, number two, the friends you choose matter a lot. A lot. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Does this mean we should limit our exposure to anyone that's not a Christian? Maybe it does. Maybe, maybe that's how you, how you need to look at it. But the Bible's also really clear that we should be around non-Christians too, right? So it's not like don't ever talk to a non-Christian. How's, how's the world going to know? Like what's the slave world ever going to do? We're always supposed to, to represent God even when we're near non-Christians too. I think this verse, the, the key of this is, um, is when, when you're around them, 
you be the influencer, not the influency. When you're around them, you get to be the influencer, not the influency. If you can't do that, you do need to change your company. Here's the third truth about friends. Number three, friends put the friend before the friendship. So thankful. Naaman would have been so thankful for his friends that were willing to put their jobs on the line. Naaman could have cut them, literally. I'm sure he had a sword. They could have died. They could have lost their jobs. And they decided to put the friend before the friendship. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Another way to say this might be like if I was doing the Adam Deal translation of the Bible, it might be like, like, your true friends will tell you when there is a booger hanging out of your nose. But your enemies will just smile. Hey. The true, you know what I'm saying? The true friends, like, hey. They don't let you walk around like that. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of the enemy. See, the friend, true friends are willing to put the relationship or the person in front of the relationship. I care enough about you. I don't care if this hurts you that I tell you that you have a booger hanging out your nose, but I'm going to tell you anyway because it's better for you. That's a funny example, but it didn't take much imagination to see how that could get serious pretty quick. A friend will foster the relationship even if it hurts a little. Those in your life that never present truth to you may very well just be kissing up. They're not helping. And thank God that Naaman had friends who loved him more than their job. Here's the fourth point from the story. Naaman's humility set the stage for a miracle. Naaman's humility set the stage for a miracle. Verse 14. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored, and he became like that of a young boy. Then... Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God, Elisha. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. Naaman went from coming in like the hot shot. I deserve, I deserve, I got my bling on. He came in and said, Please accept a gift from your servant. From your servant. Humility is the key to unlock your next door. I'm going to read the verse again that I started with, James 4, 6. Go ahead. God resists you when you are proud. God resisted Naaman when he was proud. God resists you when you are proud, but continually pours out grace when you're humble. Humility is the key to unlock your next door. I believe it. So today we're going to do a heart check. Go ahead, Jen, whenever you're ready. We're going to do a heart check. I want to encourage you uh, in this heart check time to take a minute and ask God to speak to you. Because see, the, the tricky thing about pride is like arrogance, you see it real quick. You see that quick. I'm not talking about arrogance. I guess I am. But deeper than that, it's pride. You don't see it quick. And I don't want this word 
to go right past you because you weren't thinking about it. I want us to think about it. We gotta dig, we gotta dig. Lord, we're gonna dig for pride. I pray that your spirit would illuminate the areas of our life where there's pride that needs to be adjusted in our life. So Lord, we're gonna create this space of quieting our souls to listen to what you wanna say. Show us the pride. I'm sorry when I've come with my agenda. I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough. So take me back to where we started. I we open up our heart to you, God. I pray you speak to us. Show us the pride. Show us where the unmet expectations are in our life that may be at the root of other issues. Show us where pride is secretly hiding behind entitlement or something else. Illuminate it, Holy Spirit. Show your people what needs surrendered. Show us where we're ignoring wisdom from people that are godly trying to help us. Show us our pride, God. awkward for you. I just want, want to walk you through it. We're just listening for a little voice inside our minds. We're giving God an opportunity to speak, and God still speaks, and he can speak right to our hearts. So we're just listening for him. And he can speak something right into your heart. If it's a little thought that flashes through your mind, don't ignore it. It might be God. You just asked him to talk. So we're just going to listen to the voice of the Lord speaking into us. If something comes up in your mind, write it down or make a little note in your phone. Show us our pride, God. Show us what doesn't please you. <laughs> 